Welcome to the Thrive Women's Podcast. I'm Angie and I'm joined by Lisa. And like every other week, we are excited to host you here um, for some conversation as we continue this month where we're looking at some places that we want to give a little intention and put a little care into. Um, I hope you enjoyed the past few episodes. And today we really have a treat. But first things first, as this episode comes out, we have just celebrated St. Patrick's Day in the world, which maybe isn't a big deal to you, but it's kind of the most notable thing this week, I think. Lisa, do you have any St. Patrick's Day traditions? <laughs> I'm just laughing because you. Always, I think we all realize around this time how little green we have <laughs> in our wardrobe. So first and foremost, I uh, pulled out my green sweater um, today or on St. Patrick's Day. Um, but mostly it's just some of the traditional, I grew up, my stepdad's from Ireland, lived 30 years there. So we did grow up having soda bread and corned beef and cabbage. Let's, let's just be honest. Corned beef is, I'm not a big fan of corned beef, but maybe I haven't tried your recipe where you're disagreeing me, with me right now. <laughs> it's a little salty and I'm always usually very bloated after a corned beef, but um, I think what's also funny about St. Patrick's Day is everyone's claim to be Irish. I mean, yeah. I didn't realize there were so many people um, that had Irish in them. But no, it's fun. I think it's fun to have these holidays and celebrations, especially now, because they are things that have felt normal for so many years. So it's been fun to see how people, you know, have their little traditions with kids and decorated their homes and are cooking and all that, all of that. But yeah. nothing much to report. What about you? Oh, for sure. I, I agree. I don't think I have much green and, uh, I, yeah, I didn't really mark it that special, but you know, what's interesting. I think too, you and I both now work with pretty closely with some friends who are from Ireland and they, it's really funny to watch them experience St. Patrick's Day in America because we just dye everything green right. and call it good. Like, you know, the Chicago River's green, donuts are green, all this stuff, when really there's quite a bit of depth to who St. Patrick was and um, everything he modeled and taught for us. So, Right. I mean, he was he was an evangelist. I mean, he set the church on fire, went to places in Ireland that no one wanted to touch. So it is really more about that than yeah. wearing green and being bloated. Yeah. <laughs> But if you celebrate it with green food, don't feel bad. We hope you had it's a fun, fun. celebration. Fun. But actually, speaking of food, I am so excited for you to hear this conversation we have coming up today on the episode. Um, Lisa and I had a chance to sit down with Margaret Feinberg, and who I've followed for years. She's a phenomenal Bible teacher, speaker, um, just a great human to be in contact with and learn more about what a life of following Jesus looks like. And recently, she took some wild adventures to really dive into the area of food and the Bible. You know, the Bible talks about food so many times. Bread of life, there's olives, um, you know, Jesus turning water into wine, so many examples of where food comes into play in the Bible. And she took a deep dive on the significance of so much of that and what it means to our faith, what it means to the gatherings around our table and so much more. So we had a great conversation um, and are excited for you to hear it. So here's Margaret. Hey, today we're so excited because Margaret Feinberg is joining us and Margaret has been a longtime friend of Thrive's. You've been coming to speak and teach at Thrive since I started working here and it's always such a treat. We consider you 
in the family for sure. But totally. thanks for joining us today. And I'm excited because we're going to be talking with you about one of your most recent books that is all about food. It's called Taste and See, Discovering God Among Butchers, Bakers, and Fresh Food Makers. So I'm excited about that. But before we dive into that, if you have not met Margaret, here's what you should know. She is the host of the popular podcast, The Joycast. She's a Bible teacher, phenomenal Bible teacher and speaker, um, and she's been teaching at conferences for a long time, but really when Margaret is with you, you feel seen, you feel known in the room, and she loves Jesus so much. So um, she was recently also named one of 50 women most shaping culture in the church today, which is very cool. Very excited to see that. Margaret lives in Utah with her husband, Leif, who pastors a local campus and their super pup, Zoom, which... Was your dog named before this year? Right. <laughs> because How that's perfect. a perfect 2020 dog name. But welcome, Margaret. We're so glad that you're with us today. Thank you. It is such a joy to be with you. Okay, so we're talking about your book, Taste and See, which is unlike any book I've seen kind of out in the market today. Um, you went on some wild adventures in order to understand God's word better and in a different way. What inspired you to take this spiritual culinary journey? You know, a number of years ago, I was uh, helping my aunt with her bed and breakfast. And I met a woman one morning who we struck up a conversation. She happened to take care of sheep. And I instantly had Bible passages flutter through my mind. And I thought, goodness, I have to know more about this. And so I actually traveled to her home outside of Portland, Oregon, to spend time with her and her flock. And what happened during that encounter was it opened me up to the agrarian or agricultural world of the Bible. Because the Bible was written in this just this land that is so rich and, it, 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 and it's just so rich with the imagery of food and of whether it's animals or plants. And I started to look and actually wrote a book a number of years ago called Scouting the Divine, My Search for God yeah, and Wine, Wool and Wild Honey. And I remember finishing that and thinking, this was an incredible journey, but it is not done. Hmm. And so I waited about another 10 years hmm. and began diving in and started to look and recognize there's not just an agricultural world through which the scripture is written, but really it's a food world. <laughs> I mean, if you start to look for food in the Bible, you will discover that it pops and sizzles on almost every page. <laughs> and so with so many mentions of food in the Bible, I knew I knew I needed to narrow my search. And so I started to identify about six different foods of the Bible and seek out the people who plant and process and procure them. And not people who had huge technological manufacturing, mass food kind of places, but people who are more artisanal in nature, who cared so much about the quality of the plants that they were raising, who cared so much about animal welfare, who are passionate about the high quality of the product. And this wild journey, it led me to go fish in the Galilee, it brought me to Madeira, California to pluck figs with one of the foremost experts on figs in the world. I actually tracked down um, the head of the Yale Divinity School, who happened to be an expert on ancient grains, cold called him and invited myself to his house to bake bread for an afternoon wow. because that's what normal people do <laughs> and serial killers. I even went to uh, Texas McKinney to spend time with a man who calls himself the meat of apostle, a butcher. And I graduated from a steakology 101 course and just got, just got 
animal husbandry opened up to me in a whole new way. And with each of these individuals, open up the Bible and just ask, how do you read these passages? Not as theologians, but in light of what you do every day. And their answers changed the way that I read the Bible forever. They brought scriptures alive that I had long overlooked, and they convinced me more than anything that God was the original foodie. <laughs> well, that was going to be my question with food on every page of the Bible. Do you think God loves food? And if so, I mean, is he more of a carb God? Or is he a veggie God? I mean, where, where do you see God fitting into, you know, the love for food and feasting and celebration that we see throughout the Bible? You know, it's interesting because God could have made humanity whereby we licked stones or just breathed in order to survive. And instead he gave us, you know, tens of thousands of taste buds that, that are able to, to enjoy this array of flavors of salt and sweet and bitter and tangy. And so I think he created us in his own image with this joy of enjoying food. Um, I think that when we have the opportunity to eat, that he is introducing us to the idea that he is our provider. He is our sustainer. And that's not just a, a spiritual or somehow theological super heady thing. No, that is a living reality that you and I were fashioned that we, we really cannot survive apart from, from drink and apart from food. And that that food is meant to also not just draw us closer in a living daily awareness of our dependence on God, but also that we are meant for relationship as we break fruit bread, as we consume food with one another. And so I think God likes all the food. I think he likes the sweets. I think he loves his carbs. I think he loves his paleo people. I think he loves the nuts, the fruit. I think he loves all of it. And he yeah. gave it to us. I mean, this is a God who created feasts, like not one a year. We're talking multiples throughout the year, every year. And so he creates us in this, in this food. And I think he looks at it just in creation and says, it is good. And is part of his very good creation. How good of a God, how fabulous that he's not stingy, yeah. but that he gives it to us for enjoyment. Wow. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Okay. Let's dive in a little bit. One of the chapters that I love the most is about your adventure, olive picking in Croatia. Okay. So you describe many miracles in this book, but you talk about a miracle that happens around an olive tree. Can you share that with us? Yeah, olives are amazing. And I'm super jelly for everybody who lives in California because you actually have olive trees. Like, thank goodness for the early plantings of the missions back in the 1800s. You guys got like an early scoop. But I grew up in like Florida. We didn't have, olive trees were not in abundance. Let's just say that. Okay, but and you so have the like citrus. You get oranges in your backyard. Totally, totally. So, um, but because I didn't know, you know, we actually traveled to a remote island off the coast of creation to bring in uh, olive harvest. It was fascinating because, you know, I, I, I didn't know. And this, the way where we went was super remote and old school, like ancient school actually. And, and so we, we drove this back road and we went up to this olive tree. And I remember when we, we went up, our hostess gave us our tools and it was 
really basic. It was a five gallon bucket and a blue tarp. And we put the blue tarp underneath the olive tree and we had this five gallon bucket. And what you would do is you would massage the, the tree branch and the olives would fall into the bucket. And if they missed, you'd catch them on the blue tarp below. Cause every olive was valuable. I mean, it was ripe. It wasn't light. It was heavy, lush with oil. But what would happen is, as you pick olives, you get all these scrapes. It's it just by the nature, like you're brushing up against the branches. And so you get like cuts all over your hands and your arms. And yet when we would come home at night, we would look at our hands and it was like they had been soaking at a world-class spa because God created the olive with antibacterial, antioxidant, anti-inflammatory properties. So even as you are doing the hard work, even as you are doing the picking, the healing is still setting in. And how much more true in our own lives. Like when you and I are out and we are serving and we are loving and we are giving and pouring into kiddos, pouring into our church, into ministries, into our workplace and our, you know, coworker who's feeling beaten down and discouraged. We're going the extra mile for people that even as we are doing the hard work, even as at times we're getting the cuts and we're experiencing the hardship of that, God's healing is still soaking in. And man, that is a miracle and such a beautiful thing. Wow. So as we're reading through scripture and we come across those passages with the olive tree or the olive branches, what are some things that we can be keeping in mind, just spiritually connecting to that very physical reality? Yeah, you know, it's interesting because if you look in the Old Testament, one of the primary images and just practical uses of oil was anointing. And, and the trees and the oil was specifically the olive oil. And the reason we know that super nerdy Bible moment for a moment is that there are about a billion olive trees around the world and 900 million of them all live in the Middle East and reside there. And so in the Old Testament, one of the primary uses of olive oil was anointing. And who were those who were called to be anointed, but the kings and the priests who were actually called and positioned by God to bring healing to the land. And when they anointed people in the Old Testament, it wasn't kind of that little like dab will kind of do you, but rather the oil would drip down their heads, drown their faces down to their beards and onto their bellies. And the light would hit it, reflecting the very image of God. And so it is not a mistake that when Jesus comes along, he is known as the Messiah, which means the anointed one. And he is one who brings healing to you and I. And on the night of his arrest, he could have gone anywhere, but he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane, the Garden of the Olive Press. And just as an olive press is two large white stones atop each other and the olives go in and they writhe and they wrestle underneath that and the oil comes out. Here is Christ, the very son of God, the anointed one. And he is writhing and wrestling underneath that weight. And as he is the oil, instead of the oil that drips out, it is the blood that drips out. And yet in that place of wrestling over the suffering and the mental abuse and the PTSD and the panic and, and the fear and the brutality of the cross in that place, in that stressor, he says, not my will, but God's will be done. And then he rises up and he endures the cross and he rises up with healing and resurrection power in his midst. So when we stumble into the book of James that describes, you know, are any of you sick? Are any of you healing, hurting? Are any of you in pain? Are any of you just beaten down by, by the pandemic, by the loss of jobs, by the uncertainty 
by the loss of your health or the health of someone you know. If that is you, it instructs that we should call on the elders of the church in order to do what? To anoint us with oil in the name of the Lord. And I think anointing could have been any substance. It could have been dirt. It could have been mud. It could have been milk. But I think Christ and God chose oil and specifically the olive oil for anointing because he knew that the healing properties were already embedded in. And that every time that we are anointed, we are to be reminded of what Christ did through the cross and the healing and the resurrection that comes in his midst. And I know some of you who are listening to this right now, you are listening and you say, but I have these areas of pain. I have physical pain, chronic pain, my back, the migraines. Maybe you're a long hauler from COVID and in that place you think, but I haven't experienced the healing from Christ. And, and if that is you, I, I get it. I've battled aggressive cancer. I know what it's like to live in chronic pain. But what I've been learning is just because Christ does not heal you in one place does not mean that he is not healing you in 10,000 others. Wow. That's beautiful. I'm, I'm literally thinking right now at home, I have a bottle of olive oil, like we always do sitting yeah. on your counter. And I don't think I will use that in the same way thinking of all those connections. And mm -hmm. yeah, that's a beautiful connection. One of the things I love about this book, Margaret, is that you've really written it for people to experience together. And at the end of every chapter, there's a around the table activity. And I love mm -hmm. that picture of like, this is, this is something to work through in community around the table as you share a meal and share mm -hmm. these truths. Um, even at the end of, uh, you know, the chapter about olives that we just talked about, there's an activity involving olive oil mm -hmm. and prayer. Uh, can you tell us more, like, how do you see people putting the lessons of this book into practice in a practical way with those that they're in community mm -hmm. with? Yeah, you know, it's so cool because there's the Taste and See book, but there's also the DVD and the workbook Bible study. And so at the end of every chapter in the book, you have a set of activities that are meant to be kind of like a family around the table. And so, for instance, an example of that for Taste and See for, for families would be to take the olive oil and put a small little bowl of it, just a little teeny dish in the table, and then invite you and your kids, maybe, you know, other family members, friends, just to touch the oil and just to share maybe one area in their life where they they most long for healing. Mm. If Christ was there at the table and he could just touch and, and just heal one thing, what would that thing be? And then to enter into a time of prayer, praying for each other. Um, you know, those kinds of activities, both in the book, but in the Bible study, you know, I think that one is that people would kind of taste different olive oils because believe it or not, it's so fun. I mean, this is the foodie side of, of yeah. things coming out, but like setting out like a Kalamata olive oil versus an extra virgin versus a virgin and then dipping it maybe in an artisanal bread or a gluten-free or vegetables or whatever that may be and tasting the different flavors of that and how creative and awesome is our God but it's not just one olive oil. I mean, he made so many different varietals. Um, another one I know in the Bible study that's so fun is doing a salt tasting um, because a Himalayan salt tastes different than maybe a French gray salt that tastes different uh, than an iodized um, kind of commercial salt that's been fortified with iodine since 1920, uh, 1920s. And so like gathering these foods around the table and tasting them and then talking about the spiritual elements. It is, we hear from Bible study groups and book studies around the country and actually around the world. And it is just so stinking fun because we just, we taste and we share together and we talk and we all know food has this amazing ability to not just 
to, to make us more vulnerable, to, to make us more honest. There's something about the process, and I love this, about eating together, that, that it is a confession, almost a sacred and holy confession of vulnerability. Because it says just with every nosh and every nibble, I cannot do this life on my own. Okay. I, I need this. I need something outside of myself. And I think we, we subconsciously realize that with each other. And so we open up in the most beautiful ways. Well, I love also just the ways that you are putting your personal journey of putting, you know, this adventure and developing your faith as you follow God and the wild places that he's taken you. And just that call for for us to see what is that adventure that God is calling us us to. And, um, And obviously food has been part of your adventure and how God is teaching you, you know, your call and, and connecting the Bible to our everyday life and community. And, and, uh, how would you say that this, this book apart from food might be an encouragement to people listening for what their adventure might be? What is that step that they would want to take from reading, um, and being inspired by your travels? Mm -hmm. And this is the best part. So yes, there are far flung journeys where I travel to the other side of the country to bring or world to bring in some olives, but others are in my own town and in my own city. And like, I went to a salt mine turned out. So we live in Utah. And so we have the great salt Lake and I actually drove an hour and a half South to a salt mine and got to go and venture there and understand what Jesus kind of really means when he says you are the salt of the earth and the depths of that. But what has been incredible is how many people read this book or go through this Bible study and all of a sudden they're gathering with their friends and they're like, road trip. Because all around us, for most of us, we don't have to drive more than an hour and a half. And I know there's some of you are listening and say, it'd be more than an hour and a half for me. But for a lot of you, it would not. And to go on a road trip together and maybe you have somebody who 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 is a shepherd and is taking care of sheep. Maybe you live in the central valley and you can go spend time with somebody who's growing figs. You you don't have to go far to go on your own adventure, to take time as a group and say, hey, we're just going to look on the, our Bible app and look up the word fig and take a couple scriptures and go ask somebody if this is really how it works. And so, so the real impetus is not to go on my adventure. It's to send you to embark on your own adventures, to dive into scripture, get together with friends, do taste testings, eat food together, try new things, share this beautiful adventure and go on your own because it is so fun. And let's just be honest, in this season of life, we all be needing some road trips. Yeah. You know what? I'm thinking that I just want to take you to Trader Joe's with me. Yeah. And like, what would that experience be, right? Your local oh. market. I think it would be a really good time. I think we should definitely go. Okay, so we have to stop right now. What are you guys' favorite Trader Joe's things? Like top three, go. What are, oh my what for gosh, you guys? I love their um, Cojito Frito chips. The, yes, I just discovered those. They're addicting. I love the chocolate covered pretzels. Oh my goodness. And right now I'm eating that polenta that you just throw in your saucepan and oh. heat it up. Yeah, what are well, yours, Andy? Oh my gosh. Okay. Um, my favorite at Christmas time are the peppermint JoJo's. So it's like oh. their version of Oreos, but with peppermint, it's pretty good. Um, I'm a sucker for their frozen croissants that you can bake yourself. People, like if you use those when you have people stay with you, they'll think you made homemade croissants for that. them. Okay. Oh yeah. All right. All right. I literally just used them last weekend for a breakfast and I was like, oh no, you just take them out of the box. They're yeah. so easy. Oh, good. Um, what else do I love from Trader Joe's? Oh, their pizza dough. I always buy their pizza dough. 
but so good. gosh, yeah, maybe you could write a sequel that <laughs> Taste and See the Trader Joe's version. Because I feel like just even in your local market, there's got to be something to connect, make it an adventurous too. thinking of our young moms listening with their kids. Oh. Like, how do we turn the everyday buying of groceries and food and make some of those connections? Absolutely. So can I add my three? Because I'm just like, I'm yeah. so in love with it. Yeah, I, okay. I love the chocolate. Hold the cones. Those little miniature ones. I think the chocolate is the best, but sometimes during the year they bring in other flavors and they're like, they're literally like two inches tall and it's so stinking good. And they have that thick chocolate at the bottom of the baby cone. It's amazing. Um, I'm also a sucker for, uh, you're going to hear a chocolate theme here. Uh, the chocolate covered, dark chocolate uh, covered peanut butter cups. Yes. Hashtag to die for. And then of course, and I know it's a little like everybody knows, but the orange chicken, I mean, how do you say no dark chocolate or dark chicken, orange chicken? Yeah. yeah, It's amazing. It's like the staple. (laughs) Speaking of Trader Joe's finds though, I, I want to ask you about bread because you tell a story in the book. I mean, bread, of course we all love it. Um, but while you're in Israel, uh, you described living with a family who did something not unusual with bread. Can you tell us that story? Yeah, you know it was fascinating. I was in, I was in Israel trying to uh, fish in the Galilee to understand what that was like in the for the disciples, and it was just mind bending what I discovered. And people will read about that, but there was this. I'm living with this family who uh, who have a business and just kind of doing daily life with them. And in the morning, they would feed their staff and I would eat with them. And the, the main part, just like in really in antiquity, like the bulk of the meal was really bread and it was just hot out of the oven, flatbread. And it was amazing. But, you know, they put this like, almost pizza sized flatbread on the table and people tear off and dip into whatever little bit of food we were eating in addition to that. But I remember uh, people would, you know, leave and a lot of them would their their, their plates there. And, and so I go around, and I just start to clean up. Cause it's just like, that's what we do. We're Americans. That's what we do. <laughs> and so I'm cleaning everything up and the bread and I'm throwing it away. And, and then I, I noticed one day somebody else was picking up and they picked up all the, the plates, but they didn't pick up the bread. And I was like, wait, what? Wait. And it took me a couple of, I was like, I'm something's, I'm not doing something right. I, I tick, tick, little slow kid here. I, I got it. I got it. And so I said, why, what is happening? Like, what is it with the bread? And they go, Oh, we never throw away bread we see the bread as holy and as sacred. And so we don't throw it away. We always use it to give more life. And so that whether that is taking it and if, if it's if it's pure and great, we may give it to those in need. But if it's been you know torn apart and touched, we'll at least feed it to the animals. We'll feed it to the to our, our pets. And if we if the pets don't need it, we will feed it to the birds. We'll feed it to the fish, but we will never let it go to waste. And I thought, wow, what a beautiful concept and a passed on generational reality to, to a back where Jesus came along and says, I, you know, I am the bread of life feast on me. And what a treasure and what a daily reminder that even something as simple as bread is so holy and special and beautiful. That's amazing. Speaking of giving more life, you say in the book that oftentimes when we sit down for a meal, we are hungry for so much more than just what we're eating. Hmm. What do you think that so much more is, especially today? Yeah, I think I think food is wonderful and I savor food and I love food, but at the end of most meals and there are exceptional meals, but I think at the at the end and at the beginning and really all throughout most meals, most of us long and are really hungry to know and to be known. Yeah. To love and to be loved, to find a safe space where any sense of shame scurries away. Yeah. 
And I think that we, as, as followers of Jesus, as people who want to bring the goodness of God into this world, have that opportunity to create those spaces, to be intentional about them. And, and that is a good and beautiful gift. And, and as, as based on where you live, you know, we're not living in the same time anymore. Everybody's in different spaces because of the pandemic. Some are still under severe restrictions. Others have been living their best life for a while to which some of us are like, I am so jealous. Um, but, but in those spaces as, as the ice, as the ice starts to melt from the chronicles of Narnia, as the, as it begins to melt, as it's starting to melt in all of our lives and we come back out, I think we are, we are going to crave and already are those spaces where we gather, whether indoors or outdoors, where it is safe to just be heard, to be loved, to be known, to ache, to be seen and to be placed people who create those spaces. And it doesn't have to be elaborate. I mean, that, that is, by the way, is what the, you know, the, the, the frozen orange chicken from Trader Joe's is for a couple bags of that little bit of rice. You got it. You got it. Doesn't have to be complex or hard. Thank you. Yeah. What I'm, what you just said, I mean, that's kind of coming out of this year, what we've all been craving the most, right? To the simple mm-hmm. meal at your table with friends. You mm-hmm. just, I know I found myself not taking that for granted as we've been able to do that safely, but what are some practical ways? I'm going to have you dive into that a little bit more. How do you, how have you found and created those sacred mm-hmm. spaces around the table? Um, yeah. even in your walk and journey. Yeah. Let me just share some, and some of this is from a pre COVID world. So based yeah, on where you're living, ice is all melting at different temperatures here <laughs> in our culture. Um, you know, we would have people come over and the first thing we do, cause we live in the West is we invite people to take off their shoes cause it's muddy. That's just our culture. And so we ask people to take off their shoes. We may provide socks or small little things, but there's something a little bit, they're coming into our home. And so it's a little disorienting a little bit. Um, but, 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 but all of a sudden they're like, okay, this is, we're, we're making it a, a, an entrance. A, a, there's a, there's a little bit of a shift going on. And then the first place we invite them in is the kitchen, which is the heartbeat of the home to gather around. Uh, and, and I used to be a person who, when people came over, I would leave everything completely done. They walked in, they were guests, it was taken care of. And I've learned the power of leaving unsliced tomatoes or lettuce. Cause someone will say, how do I help? And I used to give the answer, no, no, no. And now I realize, oh no, no, no. Here, here's a cutting board and a knife because it's not about them helping. It's about inviting them in, welcoming them. I love to put out some appetizers, even some simple charcuterie, which if we're doing outdoors right now, we can still do that and, and just create that place where we gather around and, and just take our time to eat, not rush into the meal. Um, I, and then as we eat, you know, just create a safe space to share, to not, you know, be vulnerable to share our brokenness. I always leave a mess or a pile out where somewhere in the house. So when people walk in, even if it's on a nearby table, they go, oh, these people are normal. They're human. They're not trying to put on a show of perfection. And then as we gather sometime during the evening, I will just ask a question of like, and based on where people are in their spiritual journeys, you know, where do you sense the higher power, the divine, the spiritual God, the Holy Spirit at work in your life? And you'll be amazed at just that question. People will stop and they'll think. And if you phrase it, if you phrase it gently, most people will quickly respond. And it's amazing how that becomes almost like a a can opener for even deeper conversation um, and sharing. And I also, also spend time praying for people before they come. It is amazing. It is amazing what just a moment of prayer before people come and saying, Holy Spirit, have your way with this night, how it turns out. And then even a simple meal at your house becomes yet another wonderful adventure. That's amazing. 
Well, all this conversation about food has made me very hungry (laughs) and conversation for community has made me also very hungry. And I'm looking forward to kind of what's ahead as we emerge and just some of even the practices that you've shared personally as you live those out. Is there anything else that you would love to share with our listeners today, wherever she is at listening, um, just to encourage them and and spur them on in their, their spiritual journey? Yeah, I think one of the big things um, would be just to remember from Christ, you know, you as a salt of the earth, Jesus calls you that you are preserving agent, you're a flavoring agent, but you are also an agent of human flourishing. It's interesting, but most of the salt that was used in Jesus's time was not table salt. It, it was actually, it was often used for fertilizing salt to help keep the ground and the vegetation thriving. And that you are an agent of of human flourishing, that everywhere you go, you get to bring the flavor of heaven down here to earth. And that is a joy and that is a privilege. And and some of you, I know you guys are looking to cook up fresh things in the Taste and See book. You're going to find some super fun recipes um, that you can share with your friends, that you can make with your friends, matzah with your kids, like from scratch and under just a handful of minutes. And, And just remember that food and life and community and vitality are coming back. And, and, and as somebody who loves God, uh, we get to be on the forefront of that. And that is exciting. So it is coming. Um, people are starving for it and you get to be part of that. And so I'm, I'm excited for you. I am proud of you. Well done so far. I know it hasn't always felt like it. Well done and good things, even greater things are ahead. Oh, thank you so much, Margaret. This has been, uh, I feel like we've just gotten the surface of all that there is to learn. So how do people connect with you? Mm -hmm. Where can they find you and those resources you talked about um, with the book? Yeah. Well, if you love podcasts, then you'll love the Joycast. Um, Just so fun. We've had great guests. It's been a delight. You can also find me on my website at margaretfeinberg.com. And if you pick up a copy of the Taste and See book or Bible study, don't forget to grab the free resources at tasteandseebook.com. There's recipe cards, there's downloads, there's some fun recipe. There's a lot of free gifts for you to enjoy in this journey because man, it's fun to literally taste and see God's goodness. Yeah, that's awesome. Can't wait till we see you again in person and we'll have to schedule in a Trader Joe's shopping trip, I think. (laughs) Next time we've got you. I'm going to try those cones, Margaret. Do you just have one though? Or do you have like three of them? (laughs) Oh, in the back of the box, by the way, this is so funny. They give you, you know how they give calorie count? It's like for one and then they have another one for three. (laughs) They know. That's good. They know no one's going to just They know. Tiny cones. Oh my goodness. Well, it's so good to see you. Thank Mm -hmm. you so much. Thank you, Margaret. Such a great teacher, and you help Jesus and the Bible come alive in such great ways. So thank you. Appreciate you. Such a fun conversation with Margaret. I don't know about you, but I am hungry and ready to uh, go travel and find some fun ingredients to cook some fun things. But one of the things that I loved, Angie, that she really emphasized through um, our conversation was just this idea of the biblical significance of food in the Bible and the ways that olive oil was used and the passages um, that we see food mentioned, but then also this idea of gathering people around you to experience it. So much of 
the transformation and where our faith, I think, really takes off is when we're experiencing this together. And I love that uh, she's put some real practical suggestions and ideas of what you can do, whether it's with your girlfriends or your kids or your husband or just even by yourself to experience some of those things. I mean, we even laughed about just our trip to Trader Joe's you know, what does that look like now as you're going in and looking at olive oil and how are you connecting that? And that's just a moment where you get to see God's word intersect everyday life. Because let's be honest, we spend a lot of time preparing and dealing with food every day. So such a fun conversation. What about you? Yeah, I mean, I did think about Margaret and you when I was at Trader Joe's this weekend, but um, I... I think it's just a great reminder of how really ordinary everyday things there's a biblical truth or can be used as a reminder of, you know, what God can do in our lives and how he uses the things that even our body needs to sustain us can have so much significance for us. So I love the image of, um, you know, she talked about the family, the bread makers who didn't throw anything away because they knew as much as bread sustained them, that bread could sustain the animals around them or um, anything like that. So yeah, I, I love that conversation. Love Margaret. And I am also hungry, ready to eat some bread after that convo. But we hope you enjoyed that today. Totally go check out Margaret's book, Taste and See, the study that's in there. That would be so fun to do with a group. Um, but we're just really thankful for Margaret and thankful for you. Hope you're having a great week. Thanks for listening today and we will see you next week.